For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey there, Second City Hockey listeners, it's Dave Melton here, and before we get to the show, I wanted to let you in on a little secret. All of those ads you just heard, if you want to listen to the show without them, visit secondcityhockey.com and sign up for either one of our subscription tiers, where the perks include ad-free versions of the Musings on Madison podcast. And with the first overall selection in the 2023 NHL Draft, the Chicago Blackhawks are very proud to select from the Regina Pats, the Western Hockey League, Connor Bedard. Welcome into another episode of Musing on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at DML57, and the main account is at 2ND City Hockey. Uh, same same uh, updates as we always do every week. If you want to support our website, one of the best things you can do is leave us a five-star review wherever it is you are listening to this podcast. If you leave us four stars or fewer, we assume you're a Blues fan. SecondCityHockey.com is where we have all our game previews, recaps, game threads during each game, and a whole bunch of other stuff. That's also where you can find our exclusive content, the Corey Crawford tier, five bucks a month, Connor Bedard tier, 10 bucks a month. Best way to support the website. There's also merch available at that website so you can support us in a whole bunch of different ways. And we thank everyone for, again, for the support that has literally kept us going and is the reason why we are still here to this day. A little shorthanded this week. Once again, we had to shuffle the lineup around, but we've got two of the other three usual line mates with me this evening up first. She is not on Twitter, but she's at secondcityhockey.com under the name LBR. It's Betsy. Oh, where she is the second city hockey bull and wall of text. How I forget it's Betsy. I was going to say, I know. Sorry. I'm slacking. <laughs> it's okay. I, if I feel, if I sound a little low energy, I actually think I got like a second wind. Um, it's cause I was back in Atlanta taking care of the, hopefully the very last bits before I sell my condo. Um, yeah, I I, th- I don't know if the people uh, I don't know how much we've talked about it um, on the air or during podcasts, but I know we've had plenty of behind the scenes discussions very, via Slack channels that this has been quite the saga for you. But it sounds like it's getting near the end of it. I have a Possibly. for those if I don't I don't know yeah I don't know if I've ever said it on air, but I have a water curse on me. <laughs> um, somebody has a voodoo doll of me and is just dipping me in water every year. Um, it's partially <laughs> like that's that's the way that I I view it. Uh, they're only so when the pandemic hit, I went to stay with my mom, and then she had some health issues. So I'm just going to continue to stay with my mom, and I was just going to put my condo up for like uh, renting just to because I didn't want to sell it, and to get on the renters list, they're like it's at least a two, maybe even three year wait list because only ten percent in our building. Oof. It's been. It will be it'll be three years in January and I'm still like 16 people back. So 
this last water incident, I was like, I just, I came up to check something randomly and there was like water all in my hallway from a uh, HVAC unit free over freeze or something from the people above me. So I was like, you know what, this, this is number five in five years. Um, I'm out. F- f- this is the fifth strike. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a brand new, the condo is brand new because one of them destroyed everything. Like my floors are brand new. My bathroom's brand new. My kitchen is now pretty much brand new. The cabinets are the same, but they've been painted and I got new countertops and backsplash. All my appliances are brand new. Um, so whoever buys my place is getting pretty much a brand new place. Um, like my entire ceiling's brand new, all the light fixtures, like <laughs> everything had to go um, after that one water incident. You know what? You should have said something. I could have bent like the reverse voodoo curse on you for when I was uh, down on my trip this weekend. I could have plenty, plenty of voodoo stuff going on there. So I'm just, I'm hoping that just leaving it, the curse will stay there or something. <laughs> the, cur- the curse is with the, the deed of the property. So once it transfers <laughs> over that, that's how this one works. Got I mean, it. <laughs> To, to be fair, most of it, the water damage was extensive because nobody is there. You know, <laughs> like if you if I was there, the water incident that happened, the major one was like in the laundry room. It would never have like I would have seen that before it got so big. But I wasn't there. The person above me, what they did was they were brand new renters and they put clothes in the washing machine and then left for the weekend. And the washing oh. machine had some type of malfunction. But first of all, who puts clothes and a washing machine and then leaves for days. That's disgusting. But I, I my place was empty and the place below me was empty. Um, and we're on, I'm on the third floor and nobody noticed it until the retail store on the bottom floor came in on Monday. Yikes. That's yeah. so the people below me pretty much got like a new place too. Yeah. yeah. So, well, well, we, uh, we wish you a speedy end to that saga because I've said <laughs> it, it, it's, it's been, it's been a whole thing. Um, also with us this evening back on Twitter at Eric G E G, the official second city hockey pizza correspondent. It's Eric Gagenheimer. Well, I was waiting for Betsy to grab her Coke root beer so we could get on the air. tonight. <laughs> um, I was looking at, I, I won't say the publication because it's owned by Vox Media, so middle finger. Yeah, um, yeah, but it guys. was it was an interview with Michael Bolton about the oral history of the Jack Sparrow song that he did with Lonely Island, and just outstanding, just an outstanding piece of comedy across the board. So anybody who hasn't watched it in a while, it's funnier than you remember. Go watch it. There we go. Got, got recommendations for a little bit of everything from uh, from this corner of the internet. <laughs> Have you seen it before? Have you both seen it? I, yeah. I have not. You have not? Okay. Dave, you should watch so, it. After sorry. This. It's, sorry. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. I don't know. I just assume, I guess, Lonely Island is like so in the zeitgeist that everyone has seen everything major that they've done. But Dave, you should watch it immediately after we get off later. And I won't <laughs> say anything else to let you it's go in it's entirely as blind possi- as possible. It's entirely possible that I have. And now I'm just like, because I feel like I've seen most of their stuff. But I'm drawing a blank. Okay. Whatever. Whatever. We'll come back to it later. Um, so since we've last talked, once again, there have been two Blackhawks games. It feels like this part of the schedule has been very light. And I think they're going to make up for that in December because it seems like they play every other day for the entire month of December, except for the two or three days off for Christmas. So the Blackhawks beat the Florida Panthers and then they lost to the New Jersey Devils because it seems like 
the Blackhawks are very good at having one really, really good game and then having one really, really bad game, no matter who they are playing. So uh, as we will get into later on in this conversation, I did not see 95% of these two games because I was out of town in an area where hockey isn't exactly a hotbed. So I'm just going to direct this over to Betsy first and just ask what I miss. Anything good? I mean, the Florida game was really fun. Mo- like I, it looked, I, it looked fun on the scoreboard. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, so they had a really good first period and then had two so-so other periods, which is the same thing they did in Jersey and the same thing they've done in most of their games. So they're not, it's not like they're playing really a full game still, but uh, they got lucky because uh, the goalie for the Panthers, like I've never, like he, when Zayatsov, Zaitsev? Why am I saying Zaitsev? Yeah, we go. Your um, favorite? I know. I'm never gonna <laughs> feel almost like I'm insulting him. Uh, don't don't him. worry. By next April, you won't have to say that name ever again. No. Um, he like he froze as if that guy was like Ovechkin or Matthews or somebody like. I'm, like I was like that. That's crazy. Why did you do that? Like he he looked so like scared. Um, but otherwise, I think they, they dominated the play. They did a really good job of controlling them. They spent more time in the OZ than maybe any other game or, like, definitely up there in that one period. Um, and then they did a decent job of shot shot suppression in the second. Um, the in Like, the last two periods, uh, especially the third, I think they only allowed for, like, five high danger chances at five on five, which is not like super low, but it's also not like they've been in double digits. For it, some. It could, it could have been worse. as well. Yeah. I mean, in the New Jersey game, they didn't have one below, like it was like seven, seven and seven, I want to say, um, which also wasn't that bad, but like, it's still like, that's a normal thing for them. And then the New Jersey game was kind of the opposite. Uh, they they still had a pretty good first period, but the goalie was better. Um, and then they had a really terrible second period, like a horrible, no good second period. And they just didn't get scored on, really. Um, and then the third period, just everything – the. New Jersey rode into the third period on a high. So it was yeah. really hard for them to come back. Um, it is what it is. Like both teams were good. So it was great for them to get a win against one. It would have been nice if they hadn't had that flat line in the middle of the New Jersey game, but it was also a back to back. And uh, the goalie for New Jersey, whose name I'm blanking on starts with a V. Vedic Vanishek. Yeah, he was great. He robbed Bedard on two yeah, I saw, I, and like he robbed, Johnson on was, another. Yeah, the Tyler, I saw the Tyler Johnson highlight uh, across Twitter in several places, and it was. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, it, it looked like Johnson probably could have got rid of the puck a little bit quicker, but still, like yeah. a hell of a save. Yeah, there were. You know, it is like I said, it was the opposite. They probably shouldn't have had three goals in ga- the first period of the Panthers game, but they did because the goalie was a little off his game. And then they probably could have had at least a couple of other goals in the Jersey game if the goalie hadn't been so on on top of his game. So, 
Well, sounds, uh, I mean, sounds a lot in line with what, uh, what I read and heard. And I I think I looked at the natural stats trick stuff after the games. And of course, read the recaps at secondcityhockey.com because where else would you go if you missed the Blackhawks game and needed to catch up on it? Um, but like, it, it looked like, like the Florida game just seemed like very score effective that the Hawks got the the three quickly. And then Florida kind of took over from there, even if it wasn't like it, it didn't quite, it was like Florida was throwing everything at the Hawks net, but they were definitely generating more play, but the Hawks were already up three and then four to nothing at that point. So it didn't make as much of a difference. And the New Jersey game just seemed like, yeah, you know, it happened. Uh, Eric, what about uh, anything else I, I missed? Anything else I should be aware of? First of all, I'm always here for a stone faced response to a big moment, um, which was Bedard's goal which is that nasty wrist shot. But I love that. Like NBA guys used to do that. Derek Rose did that once. I think it was Damian Lillard famously did that once just a total non-response to a big moment. But the other thing I think, I think those were Kaiser's best two games. Um, He looked a lot more like he did in the preseason when everyone was kind of, you know, climbing up on the bandwagon. Um, he looked a, a lot more aggressive. He was moving the puck really well. He seemed to be reading everything really well. So that was somebody that he just kind of stood out to me. And then, um, other than just to say, to, to make note of it, um, the, in the Jersey game, when Bedard set up Kurashev, that was a great look by mm-hmm. Bedard. And that was a great shot by Kurashev too. Vanacek just beat him and he made a really nice save, um, at the end. But I think that's, you know, he's, he's been scoring pretty well. He really hasn't had many opportunities to set anyone else up yet. Um, but that was one instance where everyone is screaming. They know he's going to shoot it. And he <laughs> right. used that to his advantage to put Kershev in a really good position to score. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. Um, but that was another thing that really stuck out to me from the two games this weekend. So it seems like uh, it um, I'm very glad to hear the thing about Wyatt Kaiser because I didn't uh, I, I was perusing Twitter as much as I could, um, which is to say not much at all because I was busy doing other things over the weekend. Um, so uh, I did not see any mention of Wyatt Kaiser to the degree you you said, Eric. So that's very good to hear because it seemed like he'd had some rougher goes earlier on. And maybe at some point I can't remember exactly when. But some point between the start of the season and now they switched him from playing on his offhand back to his forehand. And I can't remember if that's right to left or left to right. But either way, they they had him switch sides and it seemed like he's been playing better since he switched sides. And it seems like that trend has continued. And Bedard scored another goal. And it also seemed like the general consensus was Lucas Reichel looked very good on the wing. Was that fair to fair to conclude as well? He, I think he looks better in the Florida game. I didn't notice him that much in the Jersey game. Um, okay. He had a really nice, I think it was Kulikov that he went like inside outside on him and brought it back. Oh, and yeah. he just, he wasn't able to finish it. Stellar's kind of flashed across and made a pretty decent save, but that was not anything I've seen from him so far yet this year. So, I mean, that's telling you, you know, his confidence level, he's feeling better when he has the puck and he feels like he can do that. So that was really good to see. Um, But yeah, I don't really remember him much from the Jersey game from what I watched, but maybe that's just me. I don't know if anything jumped out to Betsy about him from that game. I don't really remember that many like players doing positive things in the New Jersey game um, to like any absurd degree. Like there were um, 
Bedard looked good. I think Hall looked good. Um, he got moved up to Bedard's line, and they looked good together. I think Kurashev looked good. Um, Kaiser, you're right, he looked good. Vlasic looked good. Korchinski had some moments, but I don't. Like, I saw. I saw he had a really, really bad giveaway in the New Jersey game. He <laughs> did led, led directly to a goal, the, which it'll happen. It was well, and also that the puck was bouncing. He just didn't like the it hit. It blocked off somebody, and then you know how a lot of players will just slap it to try to get it out of the um, yeah zone. That's what happened. And th- somebody was somebody had said, "Well, why wasn't Jones back with him?" And I was like, "Why would Jones be back in that situation? They were in like yeah. a diamond formation at that point. There's no uh-huh. way nobody would, ha- would like in that instance. It sucks that he was by himself, but he almost got completely back. He hit the guy's stick right when his shot was going off um so he almost recovered enough to prevent a shot from even really going off so kudos to him like a little bit better timing and i think like that's the difference between when if uh tenorti had made that mistake versus because one tornado tornado tenorti would never have turned around in time like by the time you know he's like i think he's like a, a jet plane turning around there's just no way um but he would never have gotten back. I don't even think like Seth Jones could have gotten back in time. I the, like Vlasic is a good skater, but he wouldn't have gotten back in time. Yeah. Uh, Korchinski, Kaiser probably could have. Um, those two are the best skaters on the D line, and they I think both of them could have gotten. But that's the that's the strength of Korchinski. He'll learn one maybe not to make that mistake, but if he does, <laughs> he'll get even faster and maybe prevent like be able to. Uh, get back and prevent his own mistake being an issue a very nice tool to have and with his type of play is that if he fucks up egregiously like he did in that situation uh sometimes he can get back and fix the problem before it becomes a goal so not not a bad trait to have at all and that was kind of a weird giveaway that wasn't so much i actually had a much bigger problem with i think it was the third new jersey goal was the direct result of bedard trying to do this weird like backhand feed across the ice and he he's tried to do it a couple times now and it just it's not working it hasn't worked i don't think it's a thing that translates to the nhl or at least it doesn't translate to the way that teams are playing him in the nhl right now like it's just not there yeah but that led to the Jersey rush up the ice the other way. And I think the Hawks were in the middle of the cycle, if I'm remembering correctly, but it was, it was a really bad turnover. And it's just, it's kind of an interesting He's going to get more rope than anybody. They want him to just be him and to be confident and to do those things. But I wonder, you know, like what the coaching staff says to him, if that gets brought up in that situation, or if he kind of has, he has the runway, they're just going to let him go and let him do that stuff. Even if it's mistakes that end up costing them. Cause to me, that was a much bigger bad play than the play that ended up, you know, burning them uh, with, with Korchinski trying to hold the line and not being able to hold on to the puck. I wonder if you go back to like Kane and Taves rookie season, because everybody knows they were just like let off their leash. They were told to do whatever they wanted. And, how many times Kane would try something and it ended up being in the back of their net. I mean, <laughs> Kane would still try stuff and it would end up in their back of the net all the way to when he, he hasn't, you know, like that was the whole, like, well, he doesn't play defense, you know, and he'll make mistakes and then not get his stuff. Um, I would rather, since this is a throwaway season, I would rather him continue to try that. Cause I think eventually he'll get the timing right and it'll be 
great. You know, there like was, there he, he's got to learn what he can and can't do, obviously, but he exactly. also has to learn to adjust what he can do to work better in the NHL. There was a play earlier this season, and I forget who it was against, but where Bedard was kind of dangling at the off is in the offensive zone, just inside the blue line. And I think he threw a reverse hit on somebody in the process, but while he was throwing that hit, the puck was taken from him and whoever the opponent was went down and scored at the other mm-hmm. end. And I think Bedard, I think during that play, he also like, he came back so far on defense that he left the point open and his point man ended up scoring. So uh, it, it was like he was trying so hard to break up the play that he also fucked up his defensive responsibility too. But it, it's just a little thing like that of learning a, you probably can't make that move in that dangerous spot just inside the blue line in the offensive zone. And B, when you get back on defense, you still have to be respond uh, positionally sound and, and cover the player you're supposed to cover. Because if you just skate to the net and stand there, they're going to move the puck around and get open and get a goal anyway. So uh, those are little things that he's just going to learn that uh, you things that will be learned at the NHL level. Yeah. If he's still doing that in year three, four, then you're like, sir, please stop. (laughs) I guess I don't even know if he'll still be a hair yet. Like I'm not, I'm not sure there's, there's anything he could do him or any of the kids could do this season that you'd be like, like get all the mistakes out of the way now. Who like like you said, it's a throwaway season. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. And we've already seen too. I mean, his his hockey sense is just outstanding. Yeah. From and I think he's he's a little bit better like offensively because he's so good at like reading plays and knowing what other hockey players are going to do with it. And I think that's just going to get better. You know, the more he gets used to the NHL and the better he gets. So I, yeah, I don't think there's anything to be worried about. That. Yeah. It's I just, do. It, go ahead, Betsy. Well, I was going to say, I feel bad a little bit for like, everybody obviously sees his skill, but he's still not, his points are still not um, like his assist rate. Isn't he's got the opposite problem that Logan Cooley has. Um <laughs> who is yeah. all play make and no, like, I think he just scored his first goal. And then, you know, there's nobody like now that Hall is back maybe. And if Khrushchev can sink some, um, he might be able to get something going, but he's, there's been so many line mates that flub, but the one bad thing about him playing on such a terrible team um, by design is that his points aren't going to be as like, lofty as a lot of I know we did that preseason article about this um Mm -hmm. I think he's gonna hit right around like 60 points is what he's on pace for right now ish over 30 goals but (laughs) that's half as you know so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where he ends up but uh the Calder race is gonna be like tougher for him Mm -hmm. I think because he's team is terrible the one thing i feel like and maybe we'll look into this later in the season is to compare uh first halves of the season the second half of the season yeah with some true. of the same guys to see if maybe they picked up the pace like mcdavid missed like uh, a third of the season with an injury so he may not be the best case study for that but to see what other guys like matthews mckinnon uh and crosby what have you see if like their their rate of production increased over the course of the season because i feel like it makes sense in your i i think it makes sense in anybody's head that 
as they get more games in under their belt and they get more comfortable with the NHL level, they start producing more, but maybe that wasn't the case for players. So, um, but yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have to do that. Uh, keep an eye I on mean, the second city hockey. We might write I mean, that up it's one crazy day. Too, because I'm, I'm saying that while Bedard is still technically tied for second <laughs> in rookie <laughs> scoring, but it yeah. is like every, all the rookie scores are, uh, not at, I think they're all like seven and below, like point seven. Yeah. Um, I, if if it still it feels like there's there's going to be a hat trick, there's going to be a yeah, you know a a a six game eight point stretch like there, or maybe even more than that. Like there's it feels like there are binges coming uh, over the course of the season just because there's there's too much happening for them to not. I guess. I think every I, every other kid is is older than him too. Um, yeah. Cooley's like the closest in age, and he's almost two years older. He's te- technically he's he's one year, but like based on months, I think he's like a year and nine or ten. You know, um, so. Well, and don't forget the big refrain has been so far. You know how tough their schedule has been. You know, sure. to to start off and all the teams they're playing and all the, you know, big number one centers that he's having to go against. So at some point that'll let up a little bit too. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if we'll talk about this more, you know, on the rest of the episode, but there's still like, there's no chemistry built with anybody. It seems like it's period by period, all the lines are being mashed and switched up. So, you know, him and Kershev have looked really good in the, the time that they've been able to play together. So hopefully that just continues and they're able to figure out whoever else is on that other line and they can kind of get it cooking a little bit. Yep. So the, the one other thing I wanted to touch on, and this really didn't involve, uh, didn't have to involve watching the game is I saw that Sunday night after the game, there was a players only meeting, uh, called, I didn't see if they mentioned if there was a specific player or two who called it, I'm guessing it was some combination of Felino, Perry, Jones, you know, the, the veterans in the room. Um, and, and I was, it was very interesting to see that because, you know, they, they, they played what seemed like a pretty good game against Florida and then maybe didn't play as well against New Jersey. And it, it seemed like the way the players talked about it to the media after the game was it, I guess the, the general message was, we have to play like we did against Florida every night and playing like we did against New Jersey. This, this uh, every other game being good thing is not going to fly at the NHL level. Now, I think from an outside perspective where we can all, it's very easy to just say, you know, this isn't a good team. It's not a very good roster. There's not a lot of talent on it. They're going to lose a lot of games like this. But for me, like I'm fascinated and, and intrigued and also find it very important. The idea of, I, I hate using the word culture because it's such a cliche word, but I don't have a better one for it, but just like setting a standard of what the Blackhawks have been doing this season is not acceptable in the long term. And I feel like if they can set that bar now, uh, set that bar of, um, you of of what is expected out of them that that bar of expectations set it very high right now and don't just because the circumstances aren't great for you that you're not you're not uh you don't get complacent by that um you're still pushing for something even if it seems un, unattainable even if you know no one expects them to get to the playoffs that there's at least an attempt by the players in the room to get to the playoffs even if they fall 20 points shy at the end of the season, if not more. Um, I just, I like that that is a thing they are doing right now and hope it will, that when more talent gets here, if they have a similar uh, determined mindset among the players in the room, that that will lead to 
uh, lead to better results than the Maple Leafs are having, I guess, is, is where to get all this. Take a shot at Toronto. That's that's the way it works. Um, I don't know if you, Betsy or Eric, if either one of you had thoughts, and I don't know if my rambling made sense, but uh, either one of you have any reaction to the players-only meeting? Yeah, I think it's that's what Perry and Felino were brought here to do, right? Is to yeah. lead and, and to teach them how to be pros. So that's like a that's a tool for your tool belt, right? To know mm-hmm. what when to do that yes. and how how to do that. And uh, Lazarus got into it a little bit more with Jones today, and more it was, you know, them being open and honest and like all talking in the room about like these are the types of mistakes we're making. These are the things that can't happen. So I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's coachable moments or whatever you want to say Yeah. where, and that's all good. I, that, you know, I don't know if they were having any players only meetings last season. Uh, if they were, it was probably just to say goodbye to whoever just got traded. Um, <laughs> right. They, there was, yeah, you know, there's nothing. So the fact that they're, they're disappointed and they're mad and they feel like there's some games that, you know, they should have won that they've been in. Like, that's all good stuff. Whether or not it translates to any sort of different amount of success this year is almost irregardless. Yeah. It's, you know, teaching them what to do in the future, setting an expectation level, like you were saying. And that's that's all good. You want them to want to win every game and to be mad and to be pissed off when they lose and not just to be like, okay with losing. Yeah. So the fact that they're setting that tone, that's a really good thing to be doing. And and I know like it is such a, you know, it's something you can say a lot and it may not, and I feel like it's easy for sports fans to be cynical and think this is just, uh, people are just giving lip service to this and they're just saying it to look in front of the media. But I will swear, like, this is one of my, uh, sports hills that I will die on. Like this shit matters. And I, I think you can look around plenty of teams even at the professional level, not just hockey, but pick your sport. I mean, shit, look at the Bears right now. They got 86 acronyms for every aspect of football. But if you look at a team that all those players seem like they think they're going to lose every time they show up for a game, that's what that team looks like. And if there is something being done with the Blackhawks players, the young guys now to where even if they lose 50 times a season, that they're not accepting that fate and that uh, that is being established now. I think that's a good thing for the long term. It doesn't necessarily it's not a harbinger of success. They need more skill. They need to be better at the actual game of hockey. But this shit matters, too. And uh, and I think you can see it when a team has it and when a team doesn't. And I think it's it's a very tricky, mysterious thing. And um, ho- hopefully it works in the long run. But I, I like I at least like where it's where this part of the equation is heading right now. Uh, Betsy, did you have any other thoughts to this? No. Okay. I can say ditto. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm the same way. I feel I, when they first initially said it, my thought was that's weird. They just won against a good team. They just lost on a back-to-back to a, a good team. That's not like the worst loss they've had this season. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, I, you know, like accountability is nice. Um, them pushing for more is good. Not being uh, content to be like terrible. I mean, like I said, the, the New Jersey second period was was one of their worst. Um, so talking about that is great. So I, all of the points that you and Eric made, I think, are good and true. I wouldn't be able to say anything more that would be better. 
Well, yeah, then we won't have to call any players only meetings after this podcast. So that's good. (laughs) (laughs) We do have one other thing uh, we want to touch on really quickly related to Blackhawk stuff. And I think we're going to do that right on the other side of this timeout. So come on back for all of that. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. So we have one other Blackhawks-related topic we wanted to get to, and it's a less uh, less enjoyable thing. I assume anyone who listens to this podcast is probably aware that on Sunday, a second player from the 2010 Black Aces squad that was on the Blackhawks, uh, was part of the practice squad essentially when they were making their run to the Stanley cup that year has filed a lawsuit against the Blackhawks, um, alleging a sexual assault from then video coach, Brad Aldridge. Uh, the details were reported in the tribune. There's a very lengthy article that goes into very, um, very detailed descriptions of everything that happened and uh, feel free to seek that article article out. If you're more interested, I'm not going to go through them all here because some of them are graphic and people may not want to hear that. Uh, so there's a content warning for anyone who uh, might be sensitive to stuff of that nature. Um, when this all came out on Sunday, like I, I think my initial reaction to this was that um, I don't want to say like surprise it took this long because it's it's different for uh, it's different for every victim of in these situations how long it takes for them to feel comfortable coming forward with their lawsuits. I think it was more just like it didn't feel like that whole everything involved with what happened back in 2010 was it didn't feel like it was over. And I guess this was just kind of a reminder that this cloud is still going to be around the Blackhawks for a good while. And even though pretty much all of the people involved in this uh, from a Blackhawks organizational perspective aren't with the team anymore, it's still the Blackhawks that are getting named in this lawsuit. And uh, I don't know where it's going to go. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not even going to pretend to be one here, but um, I I don't know what else to say about that. Uh, Eric and Betsy, did either one of you have any thoughts on this? Um, Go ahead. you, You go ahead, Eric. I'll talk second. No, I was going to say, um, you know, uh, Lazarus wrote a really good piece kind of about how it's you're straddling that line. You know, you, you want to be mm-hmm. all of us want to be so excited. You know, it was really, really hard to be a fan and, you know, in completely different ways for everybody who experienced it. I think after the initial uh, Jenner and Block report came out and after everything was revealed and, you know, like you, like you just said, everybody, you know, most of the players that were still there, they're gone, you know, um, the front office, uh, everyone who was involved in that, they are all gone, but that doesn't mean like the feelings are gone. And obviously everything that's happened to these players, you know, that doesn't go away just because it's, you know, Danny's running the team now, or because John McDonough is not there. Like that doesn't fix anything. All it does is there's a little bit of accountability attached to that now that obviously wasn't there at the time that this initially happened. So, but then, you know, you have these incredible kids that we spent all this time talking about, you have, you know, a different coach and a different GM. And, you know, like I just said, Danny's running the team. Now you want to be excited. You want to turn the page, you want to move on, but it's really important to remember these things too, because that's whether or not, we want it to be, it's a part of being a Blackhawks fan now. And it's something that, you know, 
in a weird, bizarre way, like we have to kind of justify sometimes. And I think we were all ready for, to move on from that part of it. But, you know, it's, I don't know how much more there is as far as this case goes. There's a possibility there's, there's other players too, you know, that are going to come forward in the next few years. Like we don't know. So it's, it's not something I, I guess the overall point he was making was it's okay to be excited about the future. It's okay to be excited about the prospects of being a Blackhawks fan, but you can't forget about these things too. And I think that's, it's just a reminder of that. And it's important that, you know, we don't forget that either because it's a really big deal and it's a really terrible yeah. thing. Yeah. And I guess like the hope, um, I mean, the only thing I, I would add to what you said and what I said earlier is just like whatever. I, I don't think there is any sort of attainable justification for the victim in this situation to get like there's no there's no compensation that will probably ever be adequate. But I hope whatever compensation they can get, they get. And if that gives them any level of solace or um, relief or whatever feeling they can get, whatever positive thing they can get from that, maybe some closure to the whole situation. I hope that happens for that uh, for that player. Um, But other than that, like, I I don't know. I I really like I feel like similar to when it initially happened, like, I don't know what else to say other than it's a shitty situation. I, I, I wish it hadn't happened. I'm and. I like I'm I'm glad that there w- well the the whole accountability thing gets because I feel like there's been uh, with the the penalty the Ottawa Senators got there anytime it seems like any time any NHL team gets a penalty of any kind now gets immediately compared to the Blackhawks penalty for this whole situation and I don't mm-hmm. know if it's exactly a an a apples to apples comparison here so i don't even know if i want to get into that conversation but i feel myself rambling now so i'm just going to turn this over to betsy before i say anything else dumb (laughs) yeah i was going to say it doesn't we talk about how we'd like to move on and it's as fans but it's impossible to do because one like you said dave uh every time anything any other team is penalized for hockey operational type of things things that the game at a bigger level. And I don't want to discredit that this doesn't impact the game at a certain level because it does, but not on a tangible way that some of these other infractions are that, that the league considers like in their purview, you know, this should be, but it's, they don't, it's not the same to, um, it's it's not the same as tampering or it's like like two different departments of, uh, punishment i guess i don't, I don't yeah. know how, how to say it accurately but i i get what the point you're you're trying to get yeah exactly so so that'll always be brought up and like technically the the person who's putting this lawsuit forward wasn't even one of the people during the investigation that had initial complaints um so the whole idea is that like eric was like there could be more players that come forward there's a good chance there are because there were at least four john does in the initial uh jenner and block like whatever um investigation and the first one was obviously beach and so that means there's three others this one who it gets confusing because he's now known as john doe he was black ace one who was technically just a witness in the first Mm. one um so that means there are five known um and that's not including that we know that aldrich also harassed a female employee um 
even after the allegations. So it's like, you know, this is going to be a larger impact than um, maybe people initially thought that they, it could be like, it's done with, but it's not really because it's, and it's, I, the point you were trying to make earlier, I think was uh, it sucks that it took this for cultural changes to happen in an organization like the Blackhawks. And hopefully in the, like this, this impacts hockey, the NHL and hockey in general too. Um, but it's good that these moves are being made to be safer for the players, more open for the players. Um, because one of the things that I, I liked about, you know, the, the lawyers for, for this black ace one uh, was like, cause a lot of people try to discredit, especially male victims were like, well, why didn't you fight back? And especially in hockey culture where they're like, you're so much bigger yeah. than Aldrich. Why, why did you just, why'd you yeah. take it? You know? And mm. why didn't you just beat his face in? Isn't our hockey play? And it's like, well, power positions, stigma around, like they don't even want to bring it up, that kind of stuff. So I encourage people to go read the full response about that because it's a good reminder of these types of situations of why people who are harassed, who are sexually assaulted um, in any type of way, why they don't come forward, why it's hard for them to come forward, and um, especially men, especially male victims. Um, and so it's just just a reminder that we all have to be better. And I'm glad that the Blackhawks, as an organization, have implemented so many things, and hopefully they stay true to that. I it just it sucks that it came at the expense of what is a bunch of young young men. You know, yeah. like, that that, just, like that yeah, like it, I mean, it pretty much de- derailed Kyle Beach's entire career and his life off the ice. Um, and I'm sure I'm, I imagine there might have been similar um, c- circumstances related to their profession and not for this player. So, um, yeah, it's just it's um, I, I think it's just it's like I, I think it might have been on the back burner for a while of the like this whole situation because of the exciting new era and all that. Um, but I, I think this is definitely a reminder of, yeah, the, like the, the Blackhawks really fucked up. And I think one of the most interesting things that I think has come out of this is the fact that um, Stan Bowman and Joel Glenville both still do not have jobs in the NHL. And I think any coach with uh, Quinville's resume or anybody with the resume that Bowman has or the last name that Bowman has uh, gets fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances in the NHL, let alone seconds and thirds. So the fact that they don't still don't have jobs maybe means that like something did change as a result of this. And I, I think like I, I was kind of for a while, I felt like I was kind of lukewarm on the idea of uh, either one of them getting jobs again in the NHL. And I, I feel like that's one thing that has come out in the last few days since the second report has, or second lawsuit has been filed is like, I I think it is kind of reiterated in my mind that maybe those two don't need to work in the NHL again. Like maybe this was such an egregious misstep by both of them. Um, that maybe, maybe they, the, one of the results of that is they have forfeited their rights to work in the NHL anymore. And I, and, and yeah, it's hard though, because and Betsy brought it up in the chat when we were all talking about this initially. You know, why does Shovel Dayoff still have his job? Yeah, that's and true. you know he, he was involved too. And this, you know, hockey culture. There's obviously there's there's problems across the board, no matter what league, no matter what organization you're looking at. 
And, you know, it's, it's power dynamics. It's all kinds of different things. We don't need to play armchair psychiatrist. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, and they were both Bowman and Quinville both kind of pleaded their case. Was it the GM meetings right before the season started? They showed up in Chicago and they talked to everyone or was it the owner? It was owners. It was, was, yeah, there was, there was some sort of NHL executive thing where Quinville and Bowman both spoke. Yeah. And I mean, the premise was them speaking about, you know, supposedly supposed to be, this is how you help your players. You know, we, we had to learn from our mistakes. Yeah. We, we, these are the things we we did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was it. But I think it was really a mea culpa to be like, Hey, you know, we, we would like the opportunity, both of us to get back in the league. You know, we've learned from our mistakes, da, 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 da. This you know, I, I think that's what you're saying. You know, this might serve as a reminder, like, yeah, what what they did was bad enough. I agree with you. I don't think either of them should work in professional yeah. hockey. They should not be in charge of people. Um, they let alone, you know, just on a basic human level, they were terrible bosses or employees or however yeah. you want to put it. So they, no, I, I don't think either yeah. one of them should be bad. I, like at a very minimum, like, there's got to be some public mea culpa and don't like, don't read us. Don't go to an NHL executive function and talk, you know, get in front of a podium, answer questions, explain what happened. Uh, and, and like, and it, I just, there, there has, there's, there's been no, at a very minimum if either one of them ever, like for my money, if either one of them ever wanted to come back to the NHL, uh, in any sort of professional manner, you have to do some sort of public facing mea culpa that involves questions from other, from people that are not pre-planned or scripted. Um, you don't do like a TV interview with Liam McHugh or whoever, like get in front of a podium, answer questions, explain everything. And then maybe we'll entertain the idea. But I, yeah. un- unless they're going to do that, then I don't see how that ever happens. I, yeah. Cause I can't like, there's a, there's a whole thing that, you know, Eric was talking about, like there's power dynamics and like who had final say because McDonough from all reports shut said, we're not going to deal with this now. It's his final decision. But Quinville didn't have to give Aldrich a positive end of year review. Um, Stan Bowman didn't have to let him have his day with the cup, you know, like there were a bunch of stuff at the, that, that were after the allegations and after he was technically given the option to resign that they were a part of those decisions. Um, and that particular, there's, there's this whole thing about like a recommendation level. The Blackhawks technically did not give a recommendation level. Aldrich used the positive review as his recommendation. Um, that came out during one of like after the investigation. Um, but like those are the things that, that you should be culpable for. Like if your employee, like the, all you have to do is not give him a good review. Like you just don't right. give him a good review. Yeah. You yeah. know, like at, at bare minimum. You don't do have to say good. bad job, but you also don't have to say good job. You can yeah. just, you know, no, no reference is kind of a reference in itself. Yeah. So like there, there are things that they, like I, I can understand the argument that some people make of, well, McDonough was, the be all end all. And he was the big decision maker, but these were grown ass men in power positions themselves who were okay with letting certain things happen and then helped other certain things happen that made it possible for this guy to go and do further bad things. Um, 
because you know he was actually he is technically a sex offender because he was found criminally or like it's a federal offense of sexual assault of a 16 year old so you know like those things could have maybe been prevented if the blackhawks had done stuff so i i i don't want to see them in the nhl again i think you've lost the right to come back personally and i don't think any grandstanding in front of a podium i think they should do that just regardless just so that that people who need closure or so they can answer for their i don't want to say crimes but their um mistakes I think they could do yeah. that. It should and, be something like that. That would be good. But I don't think it should be for the sake of them getting their job back. But I will say there are people who this doesn't care. Like people do not care about this because that the ref, the former ref, Tim Peel, literally the day, oh, yeah. like the yes. lawsuit, like hours after, like it wasn't like it was before. It was like hours after the lawsuit. He yeah. tweeted like, oh, the Edmonton Oilers really need Quinville. And I'm like, no, I mean, they need a coach, but they, they need a goalie more than they need a coach. Yeah, they give you some defensemen too, so. Yeah, <laughs> so, but uh, I wouldn't want them back even if they got on their knees. And, yeah. His, and, and no one's ever publicly apologized to Kyle Beach in any fashion that I know of. I Yeah, I, I, like, I'm sure like the Hawks probably did at some point in all their Yeah, I think it was like an but, organization they did. Um, yeah. I don't know. Not, they've, The thing that's really damning to me and that makes me be like, no, is, and this was in, I don't know if this was in, I saw this referenced in the article and I don't know if they were referencing the initial Jenner and Block report or new information that come out, but we know that Beach was harassed after this, you know, while on the NHL team, after these men knew all of these things that happened to him and he was bullied for it. And then they were saying that, you know, this black ace one, John Doe, it was the same thing for him. I don't think either either one of them happened in the NHL. Both of those, the bullying supposedly happened in the AHL, I think. Was it the AHL? Okay. I believe so. The, the black ace ones, I'm I'm like 90% sure it was AHL. And then beach didn't play very much in the NHL. So if it happened, then it was, like like maybe during training camp yeah like that's what i thought it was yeah was it was during training camps but yeah his hockey reference page he did not ever play in an nhl game yeah i was gonna say i didn't yeah like i i know i remember like going through getty images archives there are pictures of him in a blackhawks uniform so he had to play in preseason games at some point but i guess yeah he definitely did yeah okay so um so I mean, well, I guess when, uh, you know, if, if anything else comes of this topic down the road, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it then. And like I said, there maybe there's other lawsuits coming down the road, but this, um, it, uh, it's, it sucks, but this thing is probably, I, it, it feels like this thing is not going to be completely gone for anytime soon. Um, and it's, it's always going to be there kind of as a reminder of just how much they fucked up, uh, with the initial mistake, uh, mishandling of everything. And yeah, so, they, they can't get rid of that, but I th- I think that there's still ways that they can do things to try to help turn the conversation and you know improve things and make it right. So I think for all our sakes, we hope we see some of that you know going forward, regardless of what happens the results of this case. Yeah, yep. hopefully we this is the last set of incidents we ever have to talk about uh, in this manner. Hopefully. So uh, I I don't have a good way to transfer out of to segue out of that into other things, but um, 
just kind of looking ahead to the Blackhawks schedule for the next week. They, again, very light part of the schedule for some reason. On Thursday, they play in Tampa. They have Friday and Saturday off, and they have a very strange 12 o'clock Central Time game in Florida against the Panthers. I have no idea if there's something going on in the state of Florida or in Sunrise that's a holiday, That why they're playing on a Sunday at noon. It's not a national broadcast game. Um, I, maybe they're doing that because the Bears play on Thursday night, so they knew they could sneak in a Blackhawks game on a Sunday afternoon and get decent ratings. I don't know. It's a very weird time to be playing a hockey game, but those are the next two Blackhawks games, and then they don't play again until the following Thursday against the Tampa Bay Lightning once again. So if you were hoping for some easier games on the Blackhawks schedule, keep waiting because they're not coming anytime soon. Uh, maybe the back half of this month. So uh, I don't really have any other Blackhawks related thoughts. Anything else we missed, Betsy or Eric? I, I think we covered most of it. No, I think we're good. Yeah. All right. Well, then, if we're not uh, nothing else on this Internet, we are the best food themed hockey podcast. And uh, as I mentioned at the top, I, I didn't watch any of the Hawks games this weekend or most of them because I was out of town down in New Orleans because I'm a glutton for sports punishment. And I watched the Bears lose in person because that's that's what I do, I guess. Um, but I was also a glutton in a much different way because I ate all the food that New Orleans could possibly offer. Uh, so much jambalaya, so much seafood and uh and so many beignets i eric you were one of like five people who recommended uh cafe dumont to me oh yeah we went on saturday and it was so good we went back again on sunday and some people in our group even went back again a third time on monday so uh if you go to new or like highly recommend new orleans as a city in general um i was mostly we were only there for a few days so we were mostly limited to the french quarter so uh i i uh there there's a ton to do there and i'm sure there's plenty of other parts of that city worth exploring uh because it seems just like a very vibrant culturally very cultural um there's like art everywhere there are art markets everywhere it's just it's very it's a very interesting place and i mean that as a very much positive way um go check it out seriously it's a great city um uh, the but the food in particular and I've been wrestling with what exactly the thought is because the my favorite meal I had that whole week was at a place called Daisy May. Are either one of you familiar with this place? Uh-uh. It's no. a ch- chicken and waffles place. I do love chicken and waffles. Oh, it's – you know what? I, if there's one thing we could steal from the South, the idea of chicken and waffles for breakfast. Oh, my God. I just I, – I need to know how they deep fry – the chicken at this place because there's something about the breading that is unique that I've never had. I feel like I've never had it before. And oh, I take it back. I feel like I've had it in one or two other places that are also incredibly memorable fried chicken meals that I've had. And it's something about the breading, either how it is prepared or the breading itself. And I don't know if it's like a flour or cornstarch thing. I don't know if it's a type of oil thing, but there's like a flakier nature to it and it tastes incredible. And do you, either one of you have any idea of what I'm talking about here with the differences between the breading on a fried chicken? Well, sometimes it's the way that they treat the chicken too. And like the big thing is if they soak well, like it they in take it out for, for dinner days before. Or... Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Whether they're nice to the chicken or not before okay. they, um, but I know that that has a lot to do with it. And okay. no, I mean, it's, it's like any food stuff. Once you start looking into it, there's, the different types of oil and the different temperatures. And sometimes they fry it twice or 
I, you know, but yeah, there's something like when you hit a place, there's something magic. And a lot of times it, it could even just be like the spice rub that they use, you know, with mm-hmm. the flour that they dredge it in. But I know now I want to go to Daisy May when I'm in New Orleans next time. There's also like whether or not they do an egg wash um, or if there's buttermilk involved, because lots of people don't like uh, sometimes you can get crispier without an egg wash, which to some people also is sacrilege. So like it's an interesting it'll like soak it in buttermilk is a really thing. Like a lot of people really like to do that down here. Um, Lard, whether or not they use lard versus uh, oil, you know, it's like it's I wish. I wish we could find out. Like, be like, just go to that restaurant. And be like, tell me your. <laughs> I, I I really wish I would have asked somebody. I, I like that is one of my goals for the winter. Is I want to tr- experiment with making my own fried chicken and uh, doing it uh, in, you know, doing it in a very in in the best way possible. Uh, the other so there's one other food that I had that I had never heard of until I I, I feel like I saw it in a bunch of other. Uh, I just saw it in like a bunch of restaurants either featured it as. It was the world famous this. It's called a muffaletta, and I might be saying that wrong. Have either one of you heard of this? Yeah. Eric, have you? Because this yeah. it's it's oh so you all right. So I I, I was the late, the late one to this game. Um, it's so it's it's a according to Wikipedia, it's just a type of round Sicilian yeah. sesame bread. It just it felt like a uh, like a sandwich hot pocket type of thing the the way it was like all the meat and everything was inside i think there was like ham salami cheese and olives in it in the one that i had which i think is the traditional uh muffaletta thing but i don't think it's necessarily uh it looks like from here like this uh, from again the wikipedia description it's usually uh olive salad i guess that's where the olives were olive salad salami ham swiss cheese provolone and mortadella so yeah. I had one. It was delicious. Um, I always, I would get your, I, I don't like olives. So I'm always like, yeah, yeah. The olives are probably the least, uh, the least, um, enjoyable part of that sandwich, but they were, it was still very good. It's I, a good look, sandwich. I, you didn't have any, like I asked you ahead of this, you didn't have any gumbo, but you did, did you say you had jambalaya? I had a lot of jambalaya. I yeah. had so much jambalaya. Did you, did you have much. any etouffee? Yes. Um, I, like one place I went to is called Oceana Grill. I got uh, there was the order I got was Taste of New Orleans. It was uh, a crawfish etouffee, jambalaya, and then red beans and rice all together. I was I realized when we were saying earlier, I was like, I can make so many. I I can only I can make less than ten dishes, but I think actually I, I might be able to make more because I can make etouffee too. Two different jump, uh, two different gumbos. I can only make one jambalaya um, and an etouffee. So. Um, trying to think of anything else that you could have had there. Um, yeah. Let me cir- let me circle back for a second and ask you a question. Yeah. Um, how was the waffle at Daisy May? The waffle was just incredible. It was soft and fluffy, and just a delightful compliment to the fried chicken. Because every time I've gone for chicken and waffles, one of the components is fantastic, and the other one is very lacking. I have yet to go or eat it somewhere where like both things are a level quality. Well, I guess so, so I just got the basic chicken and waffles plate. 
Uh, the two people on opposite sides of me, including friend of the show, Lewis, I know he's listening to this, so I'll, I'll give him credit for ordering this. He got the uh, chicken and waffle sandwich where the waffle was the bread part of the sandwich. And <laughs> he, like the whole time, like we were sitting next to each other as we were eating and we didn't really say words. We just kind of grunted just in approval of what we were eating. And then we were done. You just kind of lean back in your chair and just like you just lay there just like in the full contentment of a full belly and a great taste in your mouth from everything you just enjoyed. Those are the best. Those are the moments. Yeah. Like we, we were seriously talking about going there before and after the bears game on Sunday, but uh, we ran out of time beforehand and then they closed at three. So we couldn't get there after the game. But if I go back to new Orleans, that is one of the first places I'm going to, it's called Daisy, uh, Daisy may it's right near the, uh, the Superdome. Uh, right, it, I, like on the edge of the French Quarter. It's a great place. Highly recommend if you ever. Is it Hole in the Wally? Because in Atlanta, yes. okay, yeah. Because in Atlanta, I will say they have good at like nicer restaurants or more uh, like higher. I don't want to say high, like that's a weird way, but the ones that look more hole in the wall typically have better. Like both of them are going to hit at a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, like that's I I'm all I'm a thousand percent in agreement with you. There's another place I tried talking our group into going to, but I got I got vetoed because they apparently looked too hole in the wally for. Uh, <laughs> You're like that looks like too much of a hole. We're not going into that. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm like I I didn't want to like make like some big cro- proclamation food take of like New Orleans is the best food city I've ever been to. I think that would be incredibly short sighted of me because I haven't been to enough food cities. But for the love of God, go to New Orleans and eat the food. That that's my there's, food take. Go there. A, yeah, I was gonna say there's a um there's a t- like a TikTok guy uh who is British and he was like in America for like two or three months or something like that, and you could tell he spent a lot of time in the South because when he left all of his favorite food takes were Southern food. Um, and I feel like a lot of times that's when people come from other regions, they come to the South, they automatically are like, this was my favorite food now. Um, right. Yeah. Southern food doesn't get enough credit for how good it is, but it's also, I think like um, in particular food in Louisiana takes the best parts of French cooking and mushing it with other parts of it's not just French, you know, they have like lots of uh, African and um, Spanish uh, mm-hmm. influences too, because they all <laughs> were brought into that region and it all just makes just beautiful, beautiful food. <laughs> well, that's even, there's a lot of Caribbean influence too. And like yeah. when we were, yeah, when we were in the Caribbean, like my wife got super into like chicory coffee and there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that translates and even like Haitian too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's a hodgepodge like whatever they did, they've taken the best of everything and been like, and now we will make it even better. And you're like, <laughs> it's like food Darwinism. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I think that like, this just kind of speaks to what about, I think we've, I've talked about this earlier, like the idea of like, if a new, uh, a new Orleans themed restaurant opened up either like somewhere in the Chicagoland area, like it'd be cool. But I feel like if you really want like the experience of that food, like you have to go to the city itself because it's like every place you go to, you know, the, the side, the, 
the main the entrees are the same the sides are, are the same like it's it's a similar idea of letting you know this is the type of food that exists in this area and this is where you can experience it and you can get like three or four different versions of the same dish and get an idea of what's good about it what's what's uh what other places do it well and what other places don't um so maybe maybe that's the food take is like going back to one point i know i made before is if you want to experience the regional food of any region go there don't just go to the you know don't go to the cajun style don't go to yats and think you've had cajun food before go to new orleans get the thing for real uh and don't be afraid of the holes in the wall restaurants because hole in the wall restaurants i don't know where the s goes in that but yeah don't be afraid of the hole in the wall restaurant because that's probably where the best food is yeah because all they care about is the food they don't care about the walls. They care about what they're making in the kitchen. Who cares about the walls? I'll go eat outside. Yeah, yeah I'll fuck eat your, on the curb. I've fuck had your great meals sitting on a curb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where that's where we had the bayonets initially was sitting uh sitting on the curb uh, outside the cafe. Absolutely, because you don't want to walk anywhere else. You want to go five steps away from the stand and stuff them in your face. Yeah, I'm I'm also- actually. Go ahead, I was, was going to say, I'm a big fan of people who take road trips through a region, like if you're going, because New Orleans obviously has great food, but like Baton Rouge does it slightly different. And um, I spent a lot of summers in Abbeville, which is like 30 minutes south of uh, Lafayette. And uh, it's right, like if you look at the map, it looks like it's nothing but swampland below that, but it's all rice patty stuff so like on my grandmother's house you walk out the porch and it's just rice fields and my cousins would go out and like we're gonna get some crawfish from here you know mm-hmm. um they they didn't call them crawfish they call them crawdaddies but same thing and um the way that they do food is just slightly different and it's it's such an interesting way if you just make your way through um a state and stop at any hole in the wall i feel like just look for whatever Look it up online, look to see what's good. And if it looks, has good stars and looks kind of run down, beautiful. Go to it. That is the nice thing with like having Google and Yelp reviews and all that is um, a place that has, you know, looks like whole, looks very run down and shitty from the outside. There can still be people on Google telling you, no, this is the place to go. Don't, yeah, don't right. be, don't be worried I'm about gonna, the appearance. I'm going to give you both a gift and anyone who's still listening at this point roadfood.com it is a website what that's all it is and they classify the places based on like the expertise level if anything is listed as a legendary on that website no matter how far out of your way you have to drive to get there it is a million percent worth it it is and it's it's a lot of like older diners and kind of like roadside stuff and hole in the wall stuff but yeah roadfood.com the website itself is kind of weird it takes a second to figure it out but it has never ever let me down and you can look by like region by state by city um and then it'll show you like specialties and stuff but yeah okay. thumbs up Eric, big time thumbs up. This is the best thing you've ever said on this podcast. Just want you to know that because <laughs> I've, I've already, I've already found it. I've been clicking around and like, I now I want to do. Okay. Is, now we need to go back and Connor Bedard peer that part <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> this, is a, this is, this is only for the, well, I, I assume the, those are the only people who are still listening to this podcast. I already take a little like, I just looked up Atlanta and they have the varsity as one of the very top things. And I'm already like, eh, should I believe? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> no. 
Nay, say in Betsy. I mean, maybe the one in Athens, but not the one in Atlanta, which is the famous one. The varsity is just a. Is it listed as legendary? Uh, one of the best. Yeah, no. that's not legendary. Okay, I'll take that. I just I was immediately like, no. <laughs> they just put one in the town next to us, and my nephew was like, "Yeah, the varsity," and I was like, "Oh my god, please don't." Um, think that that's great food. Oh, never mind. They have some pretty good ones on here. Yeah, I, I'm 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 cruising around some areas I know, so uh, that and I'm seeing a lot of places that I would also recommend. So worth worth a shot, worth a shot. Well, for, well worth worth a detour, worth a return, as the the rating system is at the website. So there we go. We got we got somewhere in the end. Roadfood.com, great roadfood.com. All right, absolutely. All right. Well, if there's uh not any other thoughts, I think that's gonna do it. And uh, for this edition of Musings on Madison, any anything else to add? Any other uh, food food takes or Blackhawk takes or what have you? No, I guess not. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you made it all the way to the end of this, hope you got if nothing else, you got a great uh, road trip recommendation out of it. And um, there's a couple Blackhawks games coming up in the next few days. And we'll be back next week to talk all about them. And we will talk to you Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.